USMCA is here with us. How does it affect your shipments? The growing interest in sustainable packaging solutions. And what does it take to be a rainmaker? Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Fortnum. Fortnum partners with the world's leading brands to transform their distribution operations to keep pace with digital disruption and growth objectives. Known worldwide as the distribution experts, Fortnum designs and delivers intelligent solutions powered by their proprietary software to optimize fast, accurate, and cost-effective order fulfillment. For more information, visit Fortna.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of the week. But to begin, it's Independence Day weekend, so we have national interests in mind, including the USMCA agreement that just began its official life this week. I will turn things over to Victoria now to introduce our guest, and we'll talk about USMCA. Victoria? Thanks, Dave. Yes, our guest today is David Henry, Head of Operations in Mexico for freight broker and third-party logistics provider Global Trans. David is responsible for managing all cross-border transportation and logistics services on behalf of Global Trans's customers. He and his team, based in Monterey, Mexico, provide strategic guidance to Global Trans's customers to help them navigate this sort of ever-changing complexities of the cross-border supply chain. So, as you said, David is here to talk about U.S. MCA. David, thank you for being here. Thank you, Victoria. Great. Well, I'm just going to start off by asking you sort of what are the most important changes shippers can expect as a result of USMCA implementation now that it's here? Certainly. So uh, overall, a few key changes that have stood out to many shippers and are closely watching. Uh, First and foremost, a significant portion of auto content being made with high wage labor. Uh, stricter rules for regional value content, as well as steel and aluminum sourcing. Um, Additionally, at least 40 to 45% of automotive vehicles uh, have to originate in places where workers earn at least $16 an hour. Uh, That would benefit, uh, obviously, the U.S. and Canada to keep manufacturing domestically and would also lead to better wages uh, overall in Mexico. The independent U.S. International Trade Commission last year calculated that the U.S.-Mexico deal would add 0.35% or $68 billion to economic growth and generate almost 200,000 jobs over six years. Uh, Ultimately, it doesn't have a huge impact, uh, you know, if you consider a $22 trillion economy. However, uh, I think it drives a lot of certainty with respect to investment and moving forward in manufacturing over the coming years. Thank you. Um, I also wanted to ask sort of long-term, you know, how the deal uh, benefits, um, you know, this industry and U.S. business in general. And, you know, sort of why was it necessary to replace uh, NAFTA, which preceded USMCA? Again, going back to uh, long-term certainty, looking at nearshoring, having more control over the overall supply chains in North America, that's been key there, right? So the plan to not only preserve a North American free trade agreement, but to enhance it, to ensure that it continues to drive uh, all of the different industries that produce uh, in each of these countries uh, and and 
make uh, you know make for a good agreement and for uh, uh, job creation long term, right? Uh, that would be number one. In addition to that, obviously, you have many different aspects of the agreement that have looked to uh, enhance or improve on uh, you know things such as uh, duty-free access to Mexican and Canadian markets for uh, U.S. consumers. Uh, in addition to that, uh, you know, specific to the automotive industry, it will increase U.S. jobs within the sector, and it will also incentivize production in the U.S. and throughout North America, right? So looking at, uh, you know, possibly bringing back, especially, uh, you know, higher high tech jobs or, um, you know, other jobs within these industries. Another key advantage that we see as well is um, USMCA requires transparency on uh, currency policies. Uh, it addresses unfair uh, currency practices, and that's ob obviously a very good thing for everyone. Great, thank you. Uh, conversely, I wanted to ask you about you know some of the downsides. You know, should shippers expect disruptions or delays at the border as this process unfolds, or how how is that going? Certainly, I would say you know one of, one of the key downsides at this moment you know isn't as much related to the actual agreement. I would say it's more in relation to the fact that we are in the middle of a pandemic and looking to implement, right? So obviously, uh, as everyone knows, uh, it, it just makes things a little bit more difficult uh, considering, uh, you know, different market outlooks and how the pandemic has disrupted different industries and for these to come back in a significant way, you know, in, 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 in that timeline is uh, likely to happen. Uh, therefore, you know, a lot of these changes are having to take place uh, you know, during cover time, right? So that would be, uh, you know, the key downside, which is really not related to the actual agreement. In addition to that, I would say, you know, USMCA, it, it does make it evident that trade continues to be a top priority, right, for all three countries. Um, it serves as a primary source of income, and, uh, you know, it, it's important to consider for industries such as trucking, transportation, logistics, uh, this is a very good thing. Uh, we, we continue to see uh, uh, shippers uh, looking to Mexico uh, for sourcing products that they were otherwise sourcing in Asia, uh, as well as other parts of uh, the United States and Canada. So overall, we see a lot of positive uh, things come from agreement. Yes, I, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, that this implementation comes at a, a tough time, given, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic. Does it make it sort of this is just one more thing that, you um, that shippers have to deal with? How has it affected their ability to really prepare for this? First and foremost, I would say uh, from a transportation logistics perspective, supply chain perspective, uh, you know, the, the pandemic uh, has has created a lot of disruption in cross-border, in the flow of cross-border freight, right? So I think that's one piece that as now, as we see uh, exports coming back out of Mexico, uh, which has been a very good thing and, and has really spiked up in the past several weeks, um, a lot of challenges have come with that as well, right? Uh, different carrier networks have uh, shifted. Uh, imports are still pretty low compared to what we were seeing before, so the market is kind of balanced, right? So that's one piece that drives, uh, you know, issues and, and disruptions. Um, now, looking at the agreement and, you know, uh, different industries and uh, corporations, companies, manufacturers looking to uh, implement the necessary changes for that agreement uh, drives another set of, 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 of issues, right? And that is, you know, looking to shift these supply chains, making the changes 
making the investment planning now that we actually have government guidance. Uh, you know, it's been out there for only a few weeks now, so it's been good to see, but at the same time, uh, there's been a very short timeline, right? Um, we have seen, uh, you know, in particular to the automotive industry, uh, a, defer, a deferred duty period uh, to where duties uh, have been deferred out to the end of the year. Uh, and that will allow for some breathing room for uh, in particular to the automotive industry to make some of these much needed changes. So again, you know, as we move through 2020 uh, towards the end of the year, uh, I expect we will see, uh, you know, continued uh, disruption caused by, you know, this patchwork process of getting every everyone back online and the actual agreement uh, and, and the deadlines. Thank you. One last thing I wanted to ask you about was, uh, I mean, you, you, you touched on it a little bit, it's how will, how does the, uh, how will this trade deal affect companies' sourcing strategies? You know, what, what are you seeing as someone who works on the southern border, you know, what issues or concerns are you helping with customers with in this regard? Right. So we see heavy activity on the cost analysis side. And so obviously for us as a uh, transportation, logistics, and supply chain uh, partner, uh, on a daily basis, we're seeing uh, we're, sh we're seeing shippers all over the world and within the U.S. Uh, coming to us to understand, you know, different scenarios, right? Uh, obviously, if they're looking to uh, bring investment back from other continents to North America, uh, they want to understand how that impacts their uh, bottom dollar. They want to understand how that impacts their uh, supply chain costs. And we're there to support them and understanding and analyzing and updating those different modes and, and cost scenarios. So that's one thing that we've been seeing uh, lately and, and a lot of collaboration with, you know, between us and our, our shippers uh, in understanding, you know, how this is affecting uh, their, their overall supply chains. Well, David, thank you again for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Victoria. I appreciate your time. And Dave, I'll turn it back over to you. Thank you, Victoria and David. To read more on the USMCA, be sure to check out Victoria's articles online at dcvelocity.com. Just type USMCA in the search bar to find them. Our July issue of DC Velocity is ready for readers, and we're posting those articles uh, even as we speak. So let's take a look at some of the highlights, which include stories on retail trends and a report on the current state of logistics. But our cover story this month for July features our annual class of rainmakers. And Ben, you've been involved in this process for quite a few years now. And can you explain who are the rainmakers and how are they chosen? Uh, hi, Dave. Yes, th this is, uh, I think, one of our, our favorite issues every year. Uh, every year in the July issue, we feature uh, interviews and profiles of between 10 and 12 professionals from around the supply chain and logistics field. Uh, to select those rainmakers, uh, we begin by asking our editorial advisory board, uh, as, along with past thought leaders and past rainmakers, uh, to suggest individuals that they've come across who've made a lasting difference to the field. Uh, that's people who've demonstrated in innovation and leadership uh, all around the business. Um, that that could include logistics, transportation, material handling, uh, technology. And the editorial advisory board then votes on those uh, nominees to determine each year's Rainmaker class. Uh, that process in the past uh, has included logistics practitioners, consultants, academics, uh, vendors, of course, uh, professional association directors, and even military commanders. 
And we're posting the rainmakers that were selected this year one day at a time. We started that on July 1st. And uh, so let's, well, no, let's not spoil all the fun. Let's, let's let people actually go to the website and, and figure out who they are. But can you give us a little bit of a clue as to who might be part of this year's class? <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's a, the, the, the two of them are already uh, published, and uh, there'll be another one every day. Uh, but this year's class uh, in, includes leaders and experienced executives uh, from a, a really wide range. Uh, there's a, a supply chain systems integrator. Uh, there's a nonprofit trade group. Uh, somebody from a third-party logistics provider, uh, logistics uh, technology startup. There are a whole lot of those around. Uh, researcher and advisory firm. There's a professor from a business school, and uh, and of course on the shipper side as well. Uh, there's a food wholesaler, uh, a, an executive from a food and beverage retailer, and uh, and also somebody from the fashion retail sector. So uh, it, it, it's really an, it's a incredibly wide array, and it uh, it speaks to the uh, real mix of of uh, skills and uh, areas that all contribute to the uh, to make the supply chain uh, what we love, love to cover. Yeah, the editorial advisory board did a great job this year of selecting our Rainmaker class. So we appreciate all those people who were involved in that process, as well as folks who nominated them. We do this process every year, so we encourage you next year, as 2021 rolls around, we'll start that nomination process in around February or so to whittle it down to the eventual class. So be, be looking out for those emails. And again, we encourage you to go to dcvelocity.com to see those postings, a new person each day throughout the next week or so. Thank you, Ben. Victoria, you wrote in the July issue about how sustainability is making its way more and more into the packing areas. Can you share what your research for the story showed? Sure, absolutely. So we were looking at um, taking a look at how environmental sustainability is playing out in warehouses and DCs, particularly, as you say, related to packaging. Um, and in talking to some packaging suppliers and others, it's pretty clear that companies of all sizes are really interested in eliminating excessive packaging. You know, that's when you order some small little product, it comes in a huge bag with all that extra filler, um, while also increasing the use of recycled and reusable materials in their packaging and really reducing the use of plastics um, overall, especially single-use plastics. So those, those are the, some of the, um, you know, the things companies, like as I said, are uh, looking to do. And in looking at that, there are some trends that are really emerging. Um, especially the use of right-sized on-demand packaging. That's one way a lot of these, a lot of the experts say you can uh, reduce the amount of packaging that you're using. And just to explain a little bit about how that works, typically companies will store, um, you know, a limited range of box or envelope sizes and they'll use them to fit whatever they're shipping. And that process, you know, results in the use of filler, as I mentioned, you know, all that paper, packing peanuts, plastic pillows. Um, but with right size packaging, what companies can do is they install software and equipment that allows them to produce the right size package for the job, a box or an envelope, um, and they do that on demand. Um, this is especially useful, they say, in, in e-commerce environments where you're dealing with different size orders. Um, so that's that's really the biggest trend that, uh, that, that my research showed, and it's really, uh, really interesting. Victoria, what's driving the change towards more sustainability in the distribution center? Um, one easy answer. It's consumers is what everyone's telling me and sort of a, the growing concerns over climate change and really just an overall desire by just about everyone you know to be kinder to the environment and an interesting point that um, pretty much everyone I talked to made was that you know being a good steward of the environment is important to your brand and your brand is carried on your packaging so that's why um, companies are really focused on you know the message they send when when their package is delivered very important in this day and age yeah. 
You also created an infographic that appears in the July issue that talks about innovations to create more sustainable warehouses and DCs. Can you tell us what you found there? Yes, and that was uh, also very interesting. And it, it's it. I the idea sprung out of a trip I took back in the fall, back when we were, we were all traveling, and. Um, uh, I visited, I had the opportunity to visit um, a sustainable warehouse in, outside of Amsterdam in the Netherlands uh, for Renus Logistics. And it was, it's considered one of the most uh, sustainable facilities in the world. And they say the, the most sustainable warehouse in Europe. Um, and it's really interesting. It's a very futuristic design and, and uh, just it embraces um, all aspects of sustainability. It has an airtight outer shell, solar powered energy. It's built mostly from sustainable materials. It has automatically dimming, dimming lights when you walk into the building. Um, and a couple of interesting facts. It has more than 13,000 rooftop solar panels, and those produce enough energy to power the facility and also feed energy back into the grid. That's just one really interesting um, aspect of it. And it also uh, collects rainwater on the roof that flushes the toilets throughout the building. So that really spurred my interest in you know, what other facilities around the world are doing to become more sustainable. And what I did was gathered just a few examples from um, uh, mostly from I think the U.S. and a couple of a couple of others in Europe, and we have some pictures and just little descriptions of of what they're doing. That's really it's pretty cool. That's great, and we encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other stories to take a look at that infographic and read about sustainability and the rainmakers, as well as also online you'll find our continuing COVID nineteen coverage and list of resources. That's all available on dcvelocity.com. So go there to check it out. Thank you, Ben and Victoria, for sharing the highlights of our July issue. Thank you, Dick. Yeah, thank you. And again, our thanks to David Henry of Global Trans for sharing his expertise on USMCA today. We encourage your feedback on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Fortna. Fortna partners with the world's top brands to transform distribution operations into competitive advantage. Expertise includes distribution strategy, DC operations, micro-fulfillment, automation, and intelligent software. Distribution solutions designed today for tomorrow's challenges. Learn more about the distribution experts at Fortna.com. We encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters on Apple, Google, and at other popular podcast platforms and at your app store. Just search for Logistics Matters to find us. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters. Be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.